I said, what you know about it? It's the stool, baby. Got the knees in plus. Young stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, hello. We're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart. This is my food podcast, Andre Conoparo. Say hello as well. Hi. My brother's not here because he's working. It really works a lot, this guy. Works a lot. There's a third, there's a third keystone to this triangle. That Who's that? My brother. brother. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you met my brother? No, older or younger? Twin. He's younger. What? Younger Stop. by two minutes. Twin brother, and he's... That's why I call him Baby Stew. He's the one... Oddly enough, the one of us who actually works in the restaurant and food world. What does yeah. he do? He's a GM at Badmash currently. Okay. He, uh-huh. was at, he was at uh, Burger Lords before. He was at No Name on Fairfax. He's, work, he's worked at Maximiliano's. Maximiliano in Highland Park. He's a GM there all over the place. Wow. You know how the biz goes. Are you from here? Orange County originally, but I've been in L.A. my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. What about you? I'm a, I grew up in Santa Cruz, but I moved here in 2002, hmm. and we lived together for like seven years, too. Yeah, so I moved here like around When he moved time. to L.A., up from Orange County, we got a place like a year after that or something, or two years after that. Did you guys just meet on Craigslist or something? No. <laughs> like a- we met. We actually met at a spa through mutual, <laughs> no. and I was like, "You seem like a chill guy." And this I'm was, really gullible, so you can tell me. pre grinder, so that's something. <laughs> yeah, I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, for, just for, I knew people like in high school from coming down from Northern California to work in Southern California, and then mm-hmm. over the summers I would go to shows. And somehow, when I moved back permanently to LA, we got connected and uh, just fell in love. Yeah, and I was falling in love, aka I was the only one out of the friend group who was tolerable. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, I was the only one I wanted to live with out of everybody I knew. Sweet guys, but. I mean, you, we're, people that ever listen to this podcast know, but when we lived here, we lived here for so long, but that's when we both started cooking a lot was to, like, because to, we both did it together. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. kind of like we were cooking buddies. Yeah, so Lots it was, dinner we learned from each Lots other. Barbecues. We're from, still do. Still do every still day. Still do, baby. Mm-hmm. I've never been invited to one barbecue. I'm really disappointed. Ever or ours? Yours. Oh, I haven't. I haven't <laughs> so I bought a condo in 2011 that has only balconies, uh, and I don't have a. I don't own a barbecue. I promise you, if we put one together somehow, and he's got a yard. And my house is. I know. He, my a, house I'm is, looking at your front yard right now. I've asked him so many well, times. Like, house, why don't we have a barbecue? In having front of your a yard? well, let's get into this. This is a food podcast. <laughs> How many? Point being, you will be invited to any one that we have. I have a beautiful front yard, no backyard. I prefer to do the barbecue in the backyard where you can have a little privacy. Sure. And I the get problem that, but is you my don't front have a backyard. You have a front yard. It's a busy street. That's why I don't have barbecues. And also I live right on an intersection that's kind of I mean it's in a it's in a very chill, relaxed neighborhood. It's not on like a major street, but there's a lot you know, like if I'm having a barbecue then everyone that walks by is gonna be like, Oh, smelling good. I want yeah, to I argue. Oh, looks like you guys are having fun. <laughs> All right, see you later. I want to argue with you because I want you to put a barbecue in your front yard, but you're not not wrong. 
And then you like it's true because you know a lot of heads too in this neighborhood that would be that would be offended. That would be like, yeah, oh, neighborhood, Atwater, mm-hmm, grilling mm-hmm, and chilling, mm-hmm, and you're like, mm-hmm. keep walking. Yeah, I like to not keep, your day. I like to be civil with my neighbors, mm-hmm. but I don't want to let them into my life. I don't want to be a part of their life. Yeah. I want to say, what up, mm-hmm. and then that's about it. Hey, I, Converse guy. Maybe I will urban forage their trees. He definitely steals my lemons up the block for me. That's yeah, the right. lemon in our soju that we're drinking right now is stolen. A pilfering I knew Meyer. it tasted so delicious. Oh, it's so good. Um, afterwards, I'll give you a tangerine that I also liberated. <laughs> That's the thing about stolen food. It tastes so much better. It does. Like when you ditch on a check. I do that all the time. <laughs> so great. Yeah, yeah. Have you, you ever done that? I don't really, I honestly, I don't think I have. But I got banned from a restaurant because I used to go with friends that all did it except for me. And I would always like ask for a separate check, look this person in the eye, and give them money and be like, please don't ban me. And you know the restaurant. You can guess it right now. <laughs> I don't know. It was before I met you, but take a wild guess. It's in Santa Cruz? No. It's this here in LA. This is, your, this is your hood. <laughs> Not even LA. It's Alison. Oh, Ali-san. Oh, geez. So we were vegan at the same time, but not when we knew each other. And there was this restaurant in, Fountain, I know it's from Orange County. Okay, Fountain so Valley. Fountain Valley. That had the most incredible vegan food. It was, I mean, it was also, wasn't it like a, kind of like a spiritual center too? Like half of it was like a bunch of Buddhist There was like, literature. Library there was stuff. literature in play. So it was, an Asian, it was an Asian restaurant, but they, oh. it was like one of the early places that I had found really good fake meat, like... Satan chicken that was like battered and fried and tastes like orange chicken but was vegan and it was so good. Hmm. And so all we'd all go and then a bunch of these like shitty dudes that I was hanging out with at the time would just all just ditch the chicken. From a spiritual center? That is so wrong. Oh yeah, there was no I mean, yeah, it's definitely like That was the tip of the iceberg of wrong <laughs> of wrong things. That was going probably on. the least wrong thing yeah. a lot not, of these not guys paying do. not paying for our Satan orange <laughs> chicken was at the bottom of the list of offenses that we did. <laughs> Uh, I have dine and ditch, but in a similar situation as you, where I was just an accessory to the crime. Sure. I, I didn't actually mm-hmm. do it myself, but it's kind of a one all for one, one for all. When when everyone starts running, you got to run too. I'm not proud of it. Hmm. It seems like su- such like a seventies like coming of age movie trope, as opposed to like it actually being a thing people ever do. I know, right? Like it's, it's, just, it's, it's a like, crummy thing to do. Yeah, it's only like in a. Like an early '80s losing your virginity movie that you like ditch on the check, and I don't know, no. And it's only okay if it's justified. Like if the person is mean to you, or like sure. you see the waiter like sexually harass somebody, and then you're like, oh, I'm gonna stiff this guy on the check. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> All right, fair. That is, that is not just logic. in terms of like building the story arc as to why you're justifying committing a crime. Like, like I'm gonna. You know, murder I know this. we're coming up National Women's Day, and I'm I'm resisting as well. But yep. um, mm-hmm. I, I don't. I never. I've never been encouraged to dine and ditch by seeing like a cook sexually harass a waitress. Well, I'm saying the the waiter has to do something wrong uh, sure. uh, to <laughs> to warrant you <laughs> stiffing him on a check. Fair. He has to hit somebody, <laughs> abuse them sexually or physically. <laughs> He, he, can, he can just be, be mean to an old lady, whatever it is. This is the. I he mean, can, I kind of want to be waited on by this waiter because I've never had this experience. Because you can take a beating and you'll do anything for <laughs> yeah, a free meal, right? It's true. Keep them coming, sweetie. I'll take a punch for that double decker. These are bottomless pickles, right? <laughs> Slap! So we are uh, eight minutes in and we haven't even introduced our, our oh poor guest. Jesus. 
Jillian Ferguson, say hello. Hi. Right into that mic. I know this is Hi. your first time Hi. being around a microphone or a <laughs> recording of a show of some kind, but yeah. It's true. Hello. Thank you for coming over. It's my pleasure. Mm. This is so fun. Jillian, we're going to make it very fun. People would know you from, you, you produced the KSRW Good Food Food podcast. I did. I did that for about five years. For f- about five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, a mainstay of the show. That's why I be- became aware of you. I'm sure our mo- my mom is like, oh, I know who that is when she's listening to this right now. A lot of people, when they meet me, they'd be like, oh, I thought you were like in your 50s. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that just because of NPR and, and yeah. food shows, period? I, think, well, I would not assume that. Well, I think usually when people, you look at, when you think about who your audience is, you look at the host, and mm-hmm. Evan, That's who fair. is one of my dearest friends. She's like a sister to me. Shout out to Evan. Right back to my DM, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's she's in her 60s, so mm-hmm. I think people assumed that I was too. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of like the well, the SNL. They, they would have the... the in- you know, it was based on good food. Was, was it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was when Anna Gasteyer, she was in the Groundlings, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. And... Uh, she did that skit, but it was based on back Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Finnegar were the original hosts of Good Food. I didn't know that. Yeah, How before long ago Evan. Was that? I mean, probably over thirty years ago now. Because Evan's been the host. No, Damn. Evan's been the host for. 20-something years? So this was like right in like the sweet spot of the 80s. They were pumping. <laughs> really pumping. Yeah. That was, I mean, and my, my friend Dan has a crush on one of those hot tamales. Mary Sue? Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one. Susan? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. He loves Susan for some, you know, mm-hmm. she, she appears to be nurturing. I had a crush on the other one myself. Mm-hmm. That's, that is such an amazing pedigree, though. That, that sh- I mean, and it's funny because... I would never think that only having heard it within the last like 10 years. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's not the show. That's more of like some kind of version of NPR that I thought was just made up and assumed and also spot on without having nailing it down. But so if I went back in the archives, I'd be like, oh, there's the genesis. Yeah, I never heard it back then. I don't even know if tapes exist of it when they were the hosts. Oh, I really, that would be so great. I'm though. sure it's somewhere. I don't know because we had trouble finding. You know, dat tapes from like 1999 when Evan was the host. But they would like, back then it was live and they would literally line guests up in the hallway and on a commercial break open the door and then usher them into the studio. Now it's very, you know, streamlined and produced. It's very produced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of like that run and gun style. (laughs) Yeah, anything can go. Are they on a delay there in case some big F bombs get dropped by the food ghost? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. how, (laughs) How many times can you say, F F word or S word on on the Good Food podcast before like you get like three per episode is that how it goes? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like a TBS show. They're like, all right, after ten, you can do one shit, but you got to take that other word out. Like you you like got to bargain with the producers, kind of thing. I think I would like to know if there was ever a time. I mean, you don't have to name names. Mm-hmm. Not looking for you to dish dirt, but was there mm-hmm. ever like Something that was so crazy by a guest that we were just like, oh, that'll never make it to air. Yeah, we killed segments, but nothing but like... I mean, but I don't mean killed because like, nobody liked it. I mean because a crazy person showed up and said something that like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely... 
I think that, you know, like, uh, like bitter melon is like the new go to. <laughs> no. And then, like, also the Holocaust didn't happen. <laughs> no. And you're like, what? No, I have no stories like okay. that. I wish I, 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 wish I could ho- say I did. I was kind of really hoping. That. <laughs> yeah, I doubt that. I don't really see that happening too often over but there. But once. I mean, in five just years, once. just once? Did Ludo pull his dick outside? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we don't answer. We know that happened twice. I mean, of course he, of course he did that. We all, know, we all know his reputation. I read about it on Eater. I don't, you, don't even, you don't need to say yes or no. We all know what happened. Speaking of my mom. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Both our moms avid listeners. Do they, do they listen? Oh, yeah. yeah. My mom was a guest a couple months ago. It was very cute. Aww. Yeah, like last episode I was talking about how much I was enjoying the benefits of a microwave. Mm-hmm. And your mom texted me, and she's like, "Oh, she told me she texted you. She's like, I'm sorry, I just had to text Jason." Yeah, like, your mom. It, she mom. texts me like just to let you know, microwaves deplete the chi from the food that you're consuming, and any piece of machinery that comes with a warning label saying pregnant women shouldn't be nearby when operating is probably not something you should trust to cook your food. And I was like, "All right, you're right, absolutely right, Jill." And then she hit me with a heart. A rainbow and a smiling cat emoji. I want yeah. to meet your mom. She's great. My mom's great. Oh yeah, she's you like and uh, you and Jill get along swimmingly. <laughs> oh, I love her so much. But she's strong with the emojis, which makes me happy. Rainbow hits in there a lot because they live on Hawaii, and I think it's just uh, kind of in the wheelhouse. Sure, a little um, uh, on the nose, Jill, to do the rainbow <laughs> from Hawaii. But, but so fine. she's a, she's an acupuncturist, so. That's probably, I mean, if you're being like, so, chi in the food, huh? That's mm-hmm. why. So she's traditional Chinese medicine trained doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm with her, though. But when she was on the episode, she was kind of preaching the gospel of the, of the chi and, and the greens and, and the green teas and, mm-hmm. and all these things. And all, uh, all of our listeners are like, oh, man, I'm sold. I'm on. Sign <laughs> yeah. me up. She was, I'm eating she, rainbow shard every day. She's incredibly positive and sweet. And, like, when you hear her talk, it's just like there's very little sarcasm. I mean, she's... She goes hard R all the time, and she can hang with anything, and she's super fun to be around, and nobody ever has to censor themselves around her. But when she talks, it's always, like, very, like, non-sarcastic, kind of positive, Like, fun. earnest. Yeah, she's just great. Mm-hmm. But She's um, like an older version of you, Jillian. Jason, because she thinks of him as, like, another son, and mm-hmm. say, like, you can't eat that. Yeah, she'll come up. She'll put me in a headlock. For sure. Has your mom been on the show, Jason? My mom has not been on the show, but the the door is always open to you, Karen. <laughs> the reason, and my mom came on because she stays with me when she comes into town, mm-hmm. and we record half the time in my house. So literally, she was like, I'm not going on, I'm not going on. We're like, you got to do it. And then he set up the podcast, and five minutes before we started, we're like, all right, sit down. She's like, okay. It was amazing. <laughs> you twisted my arm, All right, sweetie. fine, do it. So right before we recorded, you were telling us a story about how you got kicked out of school when you were 13. I think that's a good jumping off point to where you are on this rock and roll lifestyle that you're living now. (laughs) Right, really smooth transition. Yeah, when I was 13, I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. And I was at a school. um, For the gifted? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was a school that like my grandfather had gone to... (sighs) My dad had gone to all my aunts and uncles. My grandmother taught there. There was a serious like family legacy, and I thought it would be a great idea to organize uh, an acid trip for (laughs) twenty-one of my friends on a school trip to Washington D.C. Hell yeah! And was this in a bus or an airplane? It was on. (laughs) 
Great question. Just imagining question. us on an airplane on acid is so insane to me. It was on a bus, which is also insane. Because Atlanta to D.C., that's a little bit of a drive, eh? It was, it was an overnight bus trip to D.C. Yeah, I mean, that's how, how long does that take? Probably like 12, how many, 12 hours? How many, how, many, hours? Uh, how many tabs is that? Oh, God, I don't know. How how long was it until the first kid jerked the wheel from the driver <laughs> on the journey to be like, give me the wheel? All right, so you were the mastermind of an acid. So everyone's going to take acid on this bus ride to mm-hmm. D.C. Everyone's going to, mm-hmm. and everything's going to be fine and work out. Yeah, and, and they were never going to catch us because I was under the impression that you would have to get a spinal tap to test me this and i never occurred to me that like every other kid would rat us out when we got back to school Ooh. Oh. snitches yeah. okay. always a weak link yeah so was this your first time doing acid no man i was not a cool 13 year old <laughs> holy shit <laughs> or a dumb 13 year old no, no i mean no. it was pretty it was pretty stupid well we can look back and laugh at it now because you've turned into a well-adjusted adult mm-hmm. but like when i was 13 I hadn't even looked at a cigarette, let alone done acid. So kudos to you. Well, I, I, and then I became record, just like I was terribly much boring. Than Jason <laughs> yeah, he was cool. I mean, I was a, I was a late bloomer, but I've, I've done my work to catch up with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I still do every day. It's true. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've, I haven't done acid since though. Wow. I mean, if if anything's going to stop you from taking acid, I think <laughs> do it getting caught by your principal. So, so you're saying the doors of perception closed that that dark night on the way to DC? Oh my god, I did read the doors of perception sure, many of times. Though, after why that. wouldn't? Yeah, why wouldn't you? So um, also, no seatbelts on the school bus. It wasn't so, a school bus. It was like one of those Greyhound kind of overnight things. Oh, brother! Oh, even better. So the Greyhound. So there's some randos in there as well. <laughs> no. It's not just the kids, no, or it's it chartered was, it was just chartered. for you guys. It's oh, because that would have been a great story if like half the bus was like rando <laughs> Greyhound riders, and then the other half was just a, <laughs> like a, a class of on kids acid. on acid. <laughs> so like, there's like a one of the guy, one of the bus folk is like, just to let you guys know, I am not legally allowed to be around this many children. <laughs> yeah. I am obviously on a also. Bus, um, I'm also on acid. Just want to let you guys know. So, ironically, not allowed to be around you, but also on your same. If level. you guys have any more, yeah. <laughs> Holden Caulfield, I'm buying. So you okay? Well, let's see if we can weave this into food. I'm assuming you lost your appetite when the when the acid kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Did you get caught because you started smoking menthol cigarettes? <laughs> Did you start cooking? Acid, you were expelled from school and had some time on your hands. I had, like, no interest in food until I was at least, like, 19, I would say. Okay. Okay. So, so food, is, food is not really, like, you but know... That seems, not that seems the right age for someone who's not, like, f- like 13 years old right now and learning to, like, sous vide. Yeah. So you didn't even have Which your first pop-up annoying. restaurant until 19? <laughs> oh, brother. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm going to oh. be sick. Oh. Um... And what did get you into food when you were 19? Um, I went to NYU and... Um, Ooh, I'm listening. So you, did you too? No, but oh. okay. You um, went to film school in New York, though. Okay. You know, being in New York, you just like... It's, it's almost like a prerequisite. Well, you also can't... It's kind of hard to not be into it. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just or so a part of the culture. Or to be exposed to it. Yeah. Where it's like, what are you doing? Like, no one cooks there. You eat out, so... Yes. You're exposed to a lot of interesting. Are the kitchens smaller in New York? I've never been there. (laughs) (laughs) So you get to New York. You're 19. You're in NYU. Feeling the feels, smelling the smells. 
riding the subway, eating slices, trying sushi for the first time. I did. I was just going to say it was like sushi. What else? Did you close your eyes for your first bite? Uh, maybe I don't know. Okay, fair. Are you, how are you with sushi now? Oh, I love sushi. You munch it all. I munch it all. What's on your no-fly zone for sushi, though? Nothing. Nothing Ooh. at all. Yeah. What's on yours? He's pretty liberal. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. There's some textures that I'm not into. Like what? I'm not a huge abalone cruncher. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, the big thing that people will gasp at me saying this right now is that I'm not an uni fan. Oh. But that, I I know a lot of people who don't like uni. Um, and sometimes like Spanish, I'm gasping, like Spanish mackerel and stuff. Like, yeah, like the really like heavy, steaky, chewy. Uh-huh. I like the really more lighter kind of, you know, beginner like like uh, training wheels. Like big fan of albacore. Yeah, he's a pussy. Like, where do you guys yeah. eat sushi? <laughs> Uh, he's I got mean, a new spot that he's obsessed Lately with. I've been going to a place called Soragashi in Hollywood oh. on Santa Monica and Hound. It's enjoyable. Uh-huh. I mean, I like that. I like Sushi Gen in Little Tokyo. I was going to say Sushi Gen. Have you guys been to the Shabu Shabu restaurant next to that? Kagaya? No. You gotta go. Mm. Really? In, yeah. the, in the same. It is next door to Sushi Gen. No shit. I like a Shabu Shabu. <laughs> Recently converted fan of shabu shabu before i was never really uh also not a fan yeah what is what's offensive about shabu shabu nothing offensive it's just not like offensive at all but the effort to go out and have it i feel like i don't know if i never got into it enough but recently i feel like there's a trend in kind of turning up the broth a little bit as opposed <laughs> to i had it four or five times and there was never any seasoning in the broth at all other than the meats and vegetables uh-huh. and then you just kind of had dipping sauces and it was just like hmm. Hmm. he was having know. some bland yeah. Shabu. And it was fine. And I mean, it's actually, it's not, it's a very fun communal way to eat. It mimics my favorite, like, I love Korean barbecue. I love the idea of eating slowly and quick, like, eating quickly to sitting down, but also slowly throughout the mm-hmm. evening and, and getting to cook, which I love. But to also do. with the Korean barbecue element, you're like, here's a plate full of thinly sliced, nicely marbled beef, and you want to just sizzle it on a grill, get a little char on it. And you don't want to just dip it in some Wawa, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's... I, I, absolutely. You, you kind of want you want that Korean... <laughs> you don't want to just place it into a little jacuzzi and let it slowly sort of cook. I like the jacuzzi. Tell me about the jacuzzi. <laughs> no, you tell me about the jacuzzi that you're, you're imagining in your head. <laughs> can, I, can I not? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Fair. Um, okay. So... At what age did you start working on this food podcast, Good Eats? Hmm, good food. I good started food. working on good food when one, I was... One glass of soju. Okay, so I, I was in New York. I worked in the art world in New York. I worked at a gallery. And then I met my now husband, and he lived in L.A. I lived in New York. We dated long distance. I wanted to work in food, so I moved to L.A., it was like October 2008. The economy was in the shits. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like wanted to work in food policy, you know, like as if there were any jobs in that. So sure. somehow I, one of my friends was like, Julian, just go work in a restaurant. So I did. I went and I stodged at Jelena uh, for like what? two months, which Travis Lett still tells me he doesn't remember. But that's fine. I how'd, you, how'd you squeeze that? Yeah, I, like, I literally what? just like showed up and said, hey. I want to work for you and work. I'll stay out of the way and work for free. Mm-hmm. And the CDC was like, okay, come tomorrow morning at nine in the back. And I did. And, 
And I had no, I mean, I didn't bring a knife. I, I didn't say, bring like, like a. You know, I mean, I'm assuming they're turning people. Maybe not, but I would imagine that for staging. This was 2008. I mean, you know, like they would be turning. So, what like was your day to day task when you're staging there? It was like supreming blood oranges and stuff. It was very simple. <laughs> I mean, that's not that simple. That's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Yeah, it was. Supreme it was. It was fun. I realized that I liked that kind of work. Clean that so, food processor, lady. <laughs> no, there was no dishwashing involved. Oh, okay. uh, I did get to learn how to make the pizza dough at a certain point. It only—it was very short, though. It was like two months, maybe, and I wasn't every day. I went in like maybe three times a week. That's still pretty good. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good experience. I decided that I wanted to work in kitchens and didn't really like the guy who was running the kitchen at that point in time, so I went to Huckleberry, which had just opened wow. mm-hmm. on a friend's suggestion, and said the same thing. Like, hey, I'll stay out of the way. I'll work for free. And Zoe was like, great come tomorrow at 4 a.m. and I did and then the next day they offered me a job and I ended up a baker there for like a year and a half like riding my bike to Huckleberry at three o'clock in the morning which was such a weird existence whoa yeah I mean I saw the weirdest shit mostly just like raccoons and possums in the middle of the street at night but um and Huckleberry that's in Santa Monica Monica, Monica, so Santa Monica at 3 a.m. bike the bike scene's a little dicey it's mostly, like I said, with uh, wild animals, but occasionally there were drunk people still out on the streets. So one day at Huckleberry and they're like, boom, we're going to hire you. Yeah. Zoe had this thing that she wanted to hire people who didn't have experience because, you know, if you walked into the kitchen and said, yeah, I already know how to make banana bread. She was like, well, you don't know how to make my banana bread. Mm. So kind of like she ra- we would rather train people from the ground up than have them come in with ideas. Rather mold them things. into the Huckleberry way than have to butt heads with them about how to do something. Yeah, yeah. And then, and so you learned how to bake there or you already sort of knew? No, I had no idea what I was doing. no idea. No idea. So I started with really simple things like baking off scones and biscuits and then I got into pastry and then... Uh, croissants and the bread and all that kind of stuff. I was there for like, I think about like a year and a half. So what's the hardest thing to bake? Mm, I mean, none of it's hard. It's all just sort of, everyone talks about how baking is a science, Mm -hmm. but really like every day is different. You can't just like assume that things are going to go the way that you want them to go. Like the humidity, humidity, the temperature, all that, it changes every day. And like, there's so many times when you walk in and you're like, oh my God, what is wrong with the mother? The mother being the sourdough starter. Mm. Um, So it's kind of like constant problem solving. When you would go to work at 4am, when would you get off of work? Noon. So, and were you married at this time? No, but I was living with my boyfriend. And how was he with that fun schedule? Well, it was so weird. He's an artist, and at the time he was working for an artist. And so he would sometimes like stay up painting all night and then drive me to work in the morning and then go surfing Sweet. and then fall asleep and then wake up when I got home. I mean, it was a really weird existence. Damn. That's very bohemian. It sounds like it. It didn't seem bohemian at the time. It just seemed weird. Sure. You know, I was like 25, I think. I, I would never do that again now. It was really hard. <laughs> Shout out to all of our bakers listening right now. <laughs> oh, bakers hours. I mean, I mean also I bakers so much party. Bakers? Yeah. Mm. Bakers, that's the, a lot of people, I don't know. Really? I didn't, I I've never like, heard that. Yeah. Oh, bakers go hard. Yeah. There was one girl I worked with who was the best baker, but she would sometimes come in having not slept. Sure. Yeah. Mm. I had a few friends that were bakers and it was just like, definitely like, 
better living through engineered pharmaceuticals. Mm. And that's like <laughs> how they made it work. Uh, sounds like a fun gig. <laughs> well, it's, but like those, I mean, I think anybody who works a job with those hours too, mm-hmm. like it really is. You can't be a normal human being. I mean, I couldn't, I remember going to like a friend's birthday and just trying to stay up until the birthday party was so hard. You sure. Know? So that means, so you would go home at noon Pass out I don't immediately. even remember what I did, to be honest. <laughs> like, it's all such a blur. I think I would try and like exercise or something. I, I honestly don't even know. I yeah, because you have to. Like, I you're mean, not going to go home and crash. You know, you're, I, you're I cooked hours. a lot. I right. would go home and I would literally like spend like three hours cooking dinner. That was my own That's like bizarre. personal education, and I was just so in- I'd never cooked before. Like in New York, you don't cook, so. So how much are you cooking nowadays? Like none. <laughs> none. I, I I only cook when I have people over for dinner. Why did you stop? I just get busy. Juista more... opened in my neighborhood, and it was easier to like go buy a roast chicken. Mm-hmm. And like I shop the farmers market every week, so I buy like vegetables. And I'll like make vegetables that literally I put on the plate next to a Juista roast chicken. It's so pathetic. That doesn't sound pathetic at all. It's not pathetic. That's nothing pathetic. I mean, I should be roasting my own chickens, but... Eh. I mean, yeah. They do it better, you know? Like, I don't have a rotisserie, so... Yeah. I, I, Are you at least making some stock out of that carcass? You know, um... Yeah, yes. <laughs> sometimes. 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 Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, my freezer can only hold so much stock, you know? It's a tough gig, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you're more interested in... The world of food not involving in your kitchen. I like cooking. I like cooking. I just, for some reason, don't find time to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. I also really enjoy eating out, so. Mm-hmm. That adds up, though, doesn't it? Yes. What's the over-under on meals that you eat that are free versus paid for? I very rarely take free meals. Ooh. What about being offered to you? Uh, if it's like a media dinner, I... I never. I would say at this point, I never go. Mm-hmm. Why do you choose not to go? Um, they make me uncomfortable. Why? I think the pay, so? pay-to-play model is like very wrong. Mm-hmm. And I understand why people do it because no one gets paid in this industry. But at the same time, you know, every time you read about this amazing whatever, mm-hmm. it's like. The person who they is writing and about dime, it the maybe hasn't been there or maybe got a free meal there, mm-hmm. which is problematic. It is, but, I mean, you can also just go and get free food and you never have to do anything. That's what I do whenever I go <laughs> to those things. <laughs> I don't get invited very often, but whenever I do, I'm like, free food, open bar, sure, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll talk I to know. some dumbasses I guess for a while. I'm just a jerk and I feel like a little bit choosy about where I want to eat and free food is not necessarily good food to me. Mm. Beg to differ. <laughs> I'm going to jump out on a limb and say free food's the best. No, no, no. I, I think that, especially considering what you're doing and living in LA and, and kind of the marketing machine uh, that this place is, it's like it, it like must people, have been if people knew very how it really worked, constant. Yeah, I think that they would be surprised. Sure. You know, if you follow. 10 food media people in LA on Instagram, they're all posting the exact same the next thing day, the same at the same, same time. Place. Sure. It's not, it doesn't and go. And it's not because they all had this great idea to go there. It's because <laughs> some publicists told them to go there at it's that not, time. It's not overlooked. 
that somehow, oh, we should, the top 10 bloggers, the top 10 Instagram followers, the food. Yeah, influencers. We should. So if that is problematic. I don't use the I word. (laughs) If that is problematic, uh, what are you doing to combat that? I mean, I'm not personally doing anything to combat. I'm just trying well, not you're, to engage but, in But it. you've been doing some food writing, I've yeah. noticed. Yeah, I do. I, I do food writing. But um, I don't know. I mean, I try to... I, I only write about things that I am interested in mm-hmm. and come from, like, a genuine interest. The way it should be. And you've been... What's you, the last thing you wrote was in Lucky Peach? Is that true? I wrote something for Lucky Peach. I actually just had my first piece in the New York Times, which was cool. Wow. It was, Congratulations. I, to be fair, to be fair, it was Tea Magazine, but uh, still, still NewYorkTimes.com. Um, and I wrote about Enrique Olvera's new uh, taco menu at the new Puyol, which just opened in Mexico City. And then, yeah, I wrote for Lucky Peach, I wrote about the big chicken. Do you guys know what the big chicken is in Atlanta, Georgia? Mm-mm. It's like a five-story no. chicken on the side of the road in an Atlanta suburb. Anyways, it was their chicken issue. Is and I grew a, up in Atlanta. so Oh, so that's, a, that's an idea that you pitched mm-hmm. from your... Is it a giant chicken that has food <laughs> inside of it? Yeah, it's now a KFC. It's a KFC. It started now. out as, a, as something called Johnny Reb's. Which is whoa, um, yeah, very aggressive. Wait, is that like a sawdust on the floor kind of racist bar? It's it's, uh, it was like a chicken shack that uh, there were a few different Johnny Rebel references in the South. Because I remember one in Orange County that had a similar name. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty weird. And it was like a soul food sawdust, mildly. You'll see a little bit of a Confederate flag vibe in there, but not not like 100%. Yep, that's what this was. Do they have any of that in the South? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Um, did you go to Mexico City for this for the piece in in T Magazine? I didn't, but I did just get back from Mexico City. Ooh. I love Mexico City. I've only been there once. It's your favorite? It's my absolute favorite city, yeah. Really? Yeah, I love it. This is a first. Would you consider moving there? I am dying to move there, but we're trying to figure out how to do it. No way. Yeah. On a scale of 1 to 100, how good is your Spanish? (laughs) Like 30. Not bad. Not good either. Does your Spanish improve with alcohol? No. <laughs> no, because mine does. What about but what about the pollution in Mexico City? Well, what about pollution. the pollution in LA? But it's not anywhere near to the level like you're not living in a basin. It's it's bad. I mean like my fantasy the pollution is there to doesn't move have there. any GMOs. Sorry, go ahead. I uh, talking about the corn, not the pollution. After the rain Think in the summer it. is like a nice time to be there because there's not as much pollution. Uh-huh. So sure. You know, I had this idea that I could go down there for at least like two months, August and September. Which is how did nice you fall in love with Mexico City? I mean, I've actually been there. I haven't been there in a few years, but I went there a lot with my family. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it's a very—I mean, it's an incredible city, but it's also there's a lot of things about it that doesn't make it jump out to me as like a favorite. Hmm. I think or it's kind like, of like the perfect. The yeah, and that's why I want to know what. Tell me about it. Um, it has to involve food, obviously, too. It does, and tequila. So uh, when I worked in the art world, I worked at this gallery called David's Werner, and we went to the Mako Art Fair, which is in Mexico City. This was in 2008. And I don't know, we just had really good tour guides, like people mm-hmm. who really took care of us and showed us a really good time. And yeah, I fell in love with tequila and mezcal and the food and the people. Sure. And I've tried to, to. I think I've been back. I've only been like four times. It's not like I go all the time. Okay. But uh, I love it. 
It's like the perfect combination of New York and LA to me. It's a, I mean, it's a, also an incredible mix of of street dining and fine dining. Yeah, yeah. It has and a there's little bit like of a, a European flavor for me. It does, and the people are so happy. You know, there's like a joie de vivre that doesn't exist in the U.S. Mm. And I like that about it. Interessante. <laughs> um, do you listen to any other food podcasts, or are you just fully over that? Um, I don't. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts right now for some reason. I think I got a little overwhelmed with how many podcasts. A little burnt there were. out. Yeah. So, sure. so a while ago, you were potting heavily, listening yeah. to pods heavily. I mean. Yeah, but like you know the usual stuff. NPR political stuff. Um. Oh, well, I listen in the car. I definitely am a KCRW. Sure. Fan. Sure. Still. You don't have to say that. I know. <laughs> They're not paying me to say that. Joe Rogan. Um, we get it. <laughs> my husband listens to Joe Rogan. <laughs> he actually, like, anytime he talks about food, my husband will pause it and invite me in to come and listen. Babe. <laughs> He's going to talk about On It Bar. He, he, he likes Italian he food. You, does he tell you about, does your husband tell you about, like, that there's going to be a food segment and then just throws you in an arm bar as soon as you walk and He's like, psych, it's about MMA. Do you guys have MCT oil at the house? No. Bulletproof coffee? Nope. No? Have you ever bulletproofed ever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you live in Venice. Of course you bulletproof. <laughs> it comes in the, in the tap. Bulletproof just comes right out of the tap. So do you feel like it, because he did it for a long time, and I, I don't think I've ever, I did it once with him. He's like, yeah, try this. I'm like, I didn't notice anything. Do you feel like that extra fat content? Oh, I definitely noticed it. Really? Yeah. yeah. But the problem in is energy that, like, and appetite. Uh, or no, I was so full and that I didn't like that. Like I, the way I eat is usually like six meals a day. Like I eat like a lot Ooh. all the time and I would have that coffee in the morning and then not be hungry until like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Poor thing. Interesting. Some we had this conversation for that. two weeks ago or last week about mm-hmm. people who eat many meals a day and how hard that is mm-hmm. to do it like on a, on a healthy oh scale. Yeah, you have to plan yeah, like crazy. Hard. Yeah. So you do plan. Well, I mean... <sighs> or you just eat. You just go to six restaurants a day. <laughs> is that what you're trying to tell us? <laughs> do you eat six rotisserie chickens a day? <laughs> no, I, uh, I really like these Justin's almond butter packets that have honey in them too mm-hmm. so i always have those in my bag and so that's like you know i would have let's say breakfast one of those maybe another one lunch mm-hmm. one of those dinner that kind of thing those little justin guys are good they're so good not cheap for a <laughs> peanut butter not expensive it's like a ketchup packet of peanut butter right yeah they're not that they're like what like a dollar fifty are they expensive I mean, for 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 just peanut butter, but for, for that like, much for, money, you can get your get yourself a nice Cliff Bar, something like that, you know. But Cliff Bar, I mean, have you looked at the ingredients list on Cliff Bars? I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> I've been scarily addicted to peanut butter and jelly lately, in a way that like I will just eat it by the spoonful. I will be like, mm, you I mean need, like those I like Smucker's snack. things that are no no no, no. I mean like I'll have. And my favorite brand in the world is the salted crunchy from Trader Joe's peanut butter. Mm. I don't know why. Organic it's, or and not? And it's that one. I don't know if it is. Mm. I'm not sure. I love that one too. Um, but I will just like literally have a half spoonful of peanut butter and then dip it into the half spool of raspberry jelly. And I'll eat that on a spoon. And then I look at it and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> but it's so incredibly satisfying as a snack. And well, then maybe, is. you know, with a banana or um, an apple. 
Hmm. I've never eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my whole life. What? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Do you eat dairy? Mm, yeah, I try not to, but yeah. Try not to. Because there is an incredibly satisfying combination of like, a never? half glass of milk and a peanut butter oh, jelly sandwich. Oh, God, milk? No way. Oh, no so way. good. Yeah. Like a nice like whole milk or raw oh. milk with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah, a cold glass of milk. Even as a kid, I never understood oh, milk. Can you be enjoying Never understood milk. I mean, Even it's as a child. I understood um, psychedelics, but just not cow milk. That's crazy. I mean, it makes it's so what weird. Kind, what kind of it's monster? So weird. We're Am the I right? only mammal that like continues to drink milk after we are weaned, and that is. Isn't there something true. weird yeah, about that? Yeah, it's because we're hella sick. It is true. <laughs> it, it doesn't make. I mean, the human body is not designed to consume no. milk from other animals either. Go vegan, but <laughs> are you a vegan? No, no. <laughs> he has been. I have been. But, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. A, a peanut butter and jelly on white bread with a cold, dewy glass of milk. It's incredible. Especially when you're fighting a hangover. Oh, mm. really? Put you to bed. Milk with a hangover? Sure. We all I have mean, our look, We're going to say, uh, fine. I mean, it wouldn't be a go-to, but happy to have <laughs> it. I also feel like I could be like, I could mention anything milk and be like, oh, milk starving? No, I would never <laughs> eat milk. Also, oh. also, a person who has never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Yeah, I don't maybe know I'm if, not uh, Sure. I don't know, man. I Why mean, haven't you ever had that? Tell me about how your parents raised just, you. What's just, going on with I that? I just preferred peanut butter with bananas or apples to, mm-hmm. to no, jelly. Ride for that, too. Yeah. Very good. Mm. But never once. That's like one food that everyone in the world has yeah, had. Yeah, that would be a list. It's true. But I was so picky when I was a kid that... Oh, um, I love these stories. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm sorry, is that terribly boring? No, 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 no. Oh. That was no really, sarcasm. No, no sarcasm. 100% sincere. I love it when, no, when I meet people that are really into food, and it's so interesting to me that they'll tell me, like, oh, yeah, like, our food, my food couldn't touch until I was 11. Oh, I only, yeah. And I'm like, what? I only ate chicken nuggets until I was 30. Yeah. Dino nuggets until I was 32 years old. I now run this restaurant that's got two Michelin stars. Yeah. Yeah. No, but so you just picky. Like, you wouldn't, what would you not do? What would you not eat? Like, I would go into a deli and order a quarter pound of turkey and then, like, some bread and eat them separately. When that, I was, like, 11. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No coleslaw, no Russian dressing, no any, no pickles, no, no anything. How do you feel about mayonnaise? Yeah, great question. I like aioli. Oh. Like aioli in the traditional sense or aioli as in mayonnaise mixed with garlic? No, lemon. in the traditional sense. Like oh, I like like a nice, like a, freshly made aioli, like an eggless like. But mayonnaise in like a in so a, best in foods a, is off the table. Yeah, like mayonnaise I feel on about a sandwich. Mayonnaise the way I feel about milk. Milk. Interesting. I just I don't really I, I love mayo? I love mustard. Cupy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not against condiments. Cupy uh, mayo. It's a fine. Yeah, sure. You sound like Mario. Yeah. Who's Mario? It's a fine. Oh. Like Super Mario. <laughs> it's a video game thing. Yeah, it's from a video game. Um, so since you have been doing a lot of food writing lately, any aspirations of doing a cookbook one day? Or like a larger written food thing of some kind? Sure. Yeah. I think it could be fun to work would on a Would you write your project. own cookbook or help somebody else? No, I would probably want to help somebody else. Mm-hmm. Have you ever developed a recipe on your own? I I have. I had a food blog for a very short period of time. I'm listening. <laughs> Did it have a embarrassing name? Yeah, and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and you can't find it anywhere on the internet now, which is amazing. Maybe there's a screen. Grab. I killed it. I killed it. You, you probably spent a lot of money putting that one to bed, didn't you? <laughs> so what was what was an example of a recipe that you created that you would be proud to share with our listeners? Oh gosh, I don't know. Don't put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was. They were all sort of like. <laughs> I'm, I really don't want to talk about it. <laughs> 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 it's so embarrassing. <laughs> if I had a dollar every time I had this conversation with a reformed food blogger. <laughs> I'm actually blushing right now. Oh, well, it's okay. It. It's okay. Love it. It's fine. I mean, usually on this podcast, I'll, I'll talk about my failed food experiments all the time. So it's, it's, a, it's just very it's a, it, it's interesting to me. That's all. Hmm. Don't mean to put you on the side. Topic of conversation, failed adventures. And I think, like, I, when you do something specific like a food podcast, or at least, like, what I see in food programming and whether it's podcasts, blogs, reality television, there's this idea that, like, failure is a bad thing. And I think, like, it hasn't reached into the food world that that's really not the case. I mean, you see it, you hear people talk about it in literature mm-hmm. or in, in inventing or especially in, in tech, but it's like the idea that failure, you can't talk about bad food that you've made. And I think it's crazy to think that, and I think it, it, it discourages people from having fun, cooking at all, even beginning to do anything mm-hmm. in it. And I, you know, like, so yeah, yeah I think there's t- a I mean, lot of, I've had a lot of, fail- I've had a lot of misses. It's tough because it's like, it's, it's, you, it, you don't want to experiment with food because if it gets ruined, then you just have to throw this thing away that, you could have eaten, so and, that's kind of a downer. Yeah, I mean, but it's I wasteful care. and also, you know, it's expensive. It is. And cooking takes a lot of time, so it can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the idea of failure is changing, actually. Like, all these, at the top end, all these chefs who have these kitchens, you know, that are... Yeah, unless you're a Red Zeppi. Right. Mm-hmm. He's probably doing all kinds of failures. Mm-hmm. But then he's hitting gold, too. Yeah. I think, right? I've never eaten as any of his food. I'm assuming it's good. <laughs> it's good. You, 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 have you eaten at Noma? I have, yeah. Wow. Did you pay for that? Yes. Oh. Was it cheap? No. <laughs> <laughs> Were you there already? Or was it a, was it a, f- a specific trip to eat there? I, I did. I've, I've eaten there twice. And I once flew mm. to Copenhagen specifically to eat there. And then we went to Favakin, which is mm-hmm. um, in Sweden. I really want to go to Favakin. It's so special. Do you remember the best thing you had there? Um, it's so interesting. The best thing I had there. I found the food something to, memorable? I actually, like, you, you stay the night and you have breakfast the next day, and breakfast was so lovely. I mean, Damn. dinner was great, but, but breakfast felt like... More memorable to me. Maybe because I was so tired and jet-lagged at dinner. I don't know. Um, I really want to go there. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. I was working working in Copenhagen this year, and we had this really nice handler. And they're like, oh, what do you want to do for this trip? And I was like, oh, we're going to eat at Noma, right? Mm -hmm. And she just went white and was (laughs) like... Um, this is very hard. I was like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's like, oh, okay, great. Where did you eat? Oh, we didn't go. I mean, we, I was there for three days when we were working. It was uh-huh. more of a, I didn't have a chance to really do anything fun at all. Yeah. Pizza Hut. But messing with the handler was fun. <laughs> um, food TV. What's your all-time favorite food TV show? Ooh. Or do you even watch food TV? Or did you watch food TV? Say Good Burger. I... The answer is Good Burger. There's only one answer. <laughs> that doesn't count. That's not a show. 
Um, I don't watch. I feel so boring. I don't watch a lot of food TV. I mean, I loved Mind of a Chef, uh, mm-hmm. the first season. So I watched all my food TV on Netflix. Like I haven't had a cable subscription. So as a youngster in Atlanta, you weren't watching Food Network? No, I was busy separating my meat from my bread and my sandwich. Incredible. And listening to Dark Side of the Moon. (laughs) Still very much enjoying that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So never a Bourdain, never a Iron Chef? Nothing, really? I, I prefer like the food and travel stuff to the cooking competition shows. Yeah. And I did watch one season of Top Chef, which was enjoyable, yeah. but it was <laughs> not stupid. I've never, yeah, don't get me started on competition <laughs> cooking shows. Yeah, not a fan. I, yeah, I don't know, but I, I, I do. I, I think that what Anthony Bourdain has done has been really amazing, and I really admire the way that he produces his shows. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Hopefully, we can all take a page from his book, huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not going to talk about diners, drivers, and dives then, and what that's done for food television. Fine, the, way, the way it's pushed things forward. <laughs> let's let's highlight the proletariat, the working class. Let's talk about LA restaurants since you go out to eat all the time. Okay. You live on the West Side, mm-hmm. so most of it's going on over there. What are some? Uh, that's not true. I eat. I don't eat necessarily just on the West Side. I'm not saying only, oh. but I'm saying maybe the majority. Maybe not. I don't know. Okay. What are some uh, What are some underrated LA restaurants that you're really enjoying? Um, underrated. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I mean, LA is also kind of a hard place to have an underrated restaurant. Yeah, right? I mean, everything is so overexposed. Yes. It's like not everything. We no, all no, have no, our but, little secrets. No, no, I'm saying devil's advocate. It is like. Mm-hmm. There, there are very few stones left unturned. Totally. Okay, what are some of LA's most overrated restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to answer that question. Um, Why not? Overrated? Mm-hmm. How well, do you feel about talking shit on other restaurants? Or I shows? don't like that at all. <laughs> sure. But not on public record, behind closed doors? I don't, I don't, I just, no, like people have no idea how hard it is to run a restaurant. It is yes. so much more complicated than just cooking like you can be a great cook and not know how to run a restaurant mm-hmm. and i just think it's fucked up that people are so quick to sort of judge and like all the nasty headlines and like the whole thing about the shutter on eater they, it's like so cavalier mm-hmm. the way they talk about restaurants closing mm-hmm. and people sink fortunes and a lot of time and energy into these restaurants and i just mm-hmm. i don't i agree with all of that yeah. but I've, I've noticed that people who work <laughs> i couldn't agree more couldn't agree more as well. But I've noticed that people who work in the food industry, uh-huh. who have restaurants, who are chefs, they seem more inclined or more open to talking maybe negatively about other restaurants because they're, they're peers versus a food blogger who lives in West Covina or <laughs> me or any of us who have never opened a restaurant. Sure. Is that, do you, have you noticed that to be true? Yeah. I, I, have, I have friends who own restaurants. I have one friend who owns a restaurant who has like a no shit talking policy amongst his entire staff. I like that. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. Except for Bestia. <laughs> <laughs> Bestia. 
Because that, because then he's not wrong, and that's cool. I'm chill with that. <laughs> yeah, we try to always just talk shit on other stuff just for fun, just because people want to hear it, you know. No, we that we don't do that. We don't do that very often. Uh, right? We don't do it very often. But I like. I mean, like in the world of food, media, and podcasting, like everyone is so positive and so. You know, it's so fluffy, and nobody's really, other than, like, I mean, nobody. Nobody's really doing that, and I don't do that very often. So what's the most overrated restaurant in L.A. right now, Jason? I mean, maybe Bestia. That's a good one. But also, I don't even, I kind of like Bestia. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I find, I mean, and also my dig at Bestia, and I think the food's good. I just think for its popularity, I I don't think it's that good. Maybe John and Vinny's? I think it's incredibly, like unenjoyable to eat it and that's a full personal thing Mm -hmm. i mean that's and you know so is the the food itself is a a personal taste and choice but i think the environment is designed to repel me at all costs Hmm. so he's not the social butterfly that i am i mean i'm social i thrive in that rom-com environment god damn it (laughs) that's not true (laughs) um but he does like to be a sassy i do like to be a sassy but you know i I just i don't i don't want to like talk down on anyone and I don't want to talk shit on any other restaurant, but I like just a little whisper of some truth or honesty in in this food world where everyone's just like afraid to say anything because of whatever reason. Hmm. Is that wrong? Maybe. Who knows? I like, yeah, I like things. Being Everybody honest. needs an angle, you know? I think... I'm never going to be invited to anything again. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it also lends itself too to, I mean, and it's been mentioned even a couple times that L.A., it's not necessarily unique, but in similar aspects to, you know, Toronto, San Francisco, New York, Chicago. I mean, it lends itself to a very highly marketed, targeted, uh, and thought through process of branding restaurants and having identities in a way that, like, it can be as much of a turnoff regardless of anything else that is involved in the restaurant, whether it's the food and the environment. It's just kind of at a certain point, you're like, okay, get it. I mean, you can it's say fine. that, but then like, look at Baru, you know, like sure. Baru was like the antidote to that. And I think it was so refreshing to people because there was like no decor, mm-hmm. no press release. Like mm-hmm. I had people emailing me saying like, have you, have you found this restaurant? Destroyer right. when it opened, same thing, like mm-hmm. no website, no phone number, you had to like DM people just to get the address. And that was so exciting, you know? Like mm-hmm. we're so bombarded with like PR releases and like yes. fresh photos and they all look the same. So I think that is what people want now. Like something special like to hold on to. Like basically like an underground rave for food. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it kind of like, I mean, yeah, all the, all the cool, I mean, me coming, looking at it from like the DJ yeah. perspective, like all the coolest places are trying to not have a big public persona right. like they they would rather be around the corner in the alleyway instead of right on the main street and mm-hmm. they're not going to have a giant marquee sign it'll just have like a neon light that says cocktails so the normal person will walk by and not want to go in there but those who know yeah will want to i think people miss like the sense of discovery oh yeah i mean that never happens Hardly ever. Sure. In food, in restaurants, discovery is very difficult. But I also think, you know, restaurants are unique in a lot of ways that, you know, they're spoilage when they're not, it's not just their rent. When you're talking about a club, 
Mm-hmm. You're talking about like, oh, our liquor sales are up and down, but there's no spoilage. And like when you're doing something really high end mm-hmm. and something very thought out with a very clear perspective, you're probably using ingredients that you need to get mm-hmm. rid of in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's where it can get very tricky trying to slow roll and be kind of like... Yeah, it's bad for business. It's, yeah, <laughs> not even bad for business. I mean, like, you've got such a small window that, like, yeah. you, if the buzz doesn't happen quickly on what you're doing, or at least that you've found a way to only do, like, 30 tables, 40 tables a night, mm-hmm. and you know how to, you know, how you're sourcing and ordering well enough to where you're not killing yourself in six months... You go from no coupon, no no phone number to Groupon very quickly. <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Hey guys, uh, we're doing two for one shooters tonight. We're gonna, yeah, definitely. Our happy hours all day. Um, all right, Jillian. Last part of the show. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do the best thing that we had all week. Do you want to start it off, Andre? Do you want me to? Uh, I can go. Go for it, baby. So I was in Glendale, kind of North Glendale, on Glen Oaks, like Glen Oaks, San Fernando. And I had to mm. find something, and I found this place called Saipan Bakery. How is it spelled? S-I-P-A-N. Mm-hmm. And this is a place in my neighborhood called Sepan. Right, with an E, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've driven Saipan. by that. I've never been there. But so they Glendale do... heads will know it's right by the DMV. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, because that's where I was at when I had to find something to eat, was at the DMV for the fourth time, trying to get license plates for my car. It's a tough gig out here. Were they vanity plates? No, thank God. Um, no, they're... This is... Okay, I'll tell you off air what they are. <laughs> they're a year of manufacture plates. So I have a vintage car, and I got like the year of manufacture blue and yellow plates, but it's very confusing. Classic California blues. Yeah. Gotta get them switched mm-hmm. over. A lot of paperwork. A lot of red uh, tape. But so they do this thing called... They, what they're calling a falafel taco, which is really kind of fun because the falafel's incredible. And it's got a normal mix of a little bit of feta and chopped tomato and some, um, some parsley. But what they're doing, they make a perfect corn tortilla-sized tortilla, but mm-hmm. it's made out of like Armenian flatbread, mm. like that kind of flour. Mm-hmm. So it comes and it looks like a normal kind of like pastor taco... But you start to bite into it, and it tastes like an incredible kind of unique, super thin flatbread taco um, that's kind of hard to do justice, except that... Uh, how little? Is, how small is the falafel ball? There's no falafel. It's like chopped. Oh. So it's like if you Ooh. just crumbled, um, if you crumbled that into a fryer. Like if you took falafel and just uh, started like mm-hmm. throwing So it's like beef. making so, ground beef out of falafel? Exactly. It's really crispy. So not, real crunchy. Yeah, it's great. Oh. Is there a tzatziki drizzle? No. There's like a <laughs> spicy garlic sauce that came with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was okay. It was really good with that. I mean, it was fine on its own. A little bit of hot sauce on top. Okay. Creamy tapatia. And it was like $1.25. Hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, best thing I had this week, I went to Ventura to the Jolly Oyster mm. uh, right yeah, on the place. beach. Mm. Did you get the barbecue? No, there was no barbecue when I went. I went just right barbecue when... oysters, I mean, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. no. Uh-huh. I just got regular oysters on the, on the shell. Uh-huh. I've never had the barbecue, Oh, though. they're so good. Oh, they're really good. Well, yeah. I've only had them in New Orleans, but they're inc- like yeah. barbecued oysters are incredible. I've had them as well, but I, didn't, I haven't had them at the Jolly. Mm. But... The Jolly Oyster, if you've never been, it's in Ventura, right on the beach. It's a little shack. You can buy oysters and shuck them yourself. It's very affordable for oysters. And Their story is incredible. It's What's like, their yeah, story? These two guys searched, spent like a multiple years trying to find the perfect oyster breed to farm raise. 
Um, it's like a high, yeah, like they like. It's basically they made an oyster type yeah. from yeah. scratch based on like we like this oyster, we like this oyster, and they kind of like crossbred them together to make a hybrid custom oyster type, so they can have the flavor profile, the size, the salinity, and all that stuff. And they farm them in Baja mm-hmm. in the ocean, and then cruise them up. Hmm. Yeah, and then they're if you ever get to see them. Um, they're really passionate and they really like talking about it. It's also a great place for a birthday party. Yes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you just go, it's right on the beach. You can bring your own things to barbecue. You can bring some beer and wine and just chill all day. It's, it's fantastic. Hmm. How many did you put down? Just got a dozen. But to yourself? They're small. They're so small. 12 to the head. Yeah, no problem. Wow. I can do two does. <laughs> I can't. I tap out. I mean... It's not even can't, but like I, there's diminishing returns for me. Like after like five, or I'm six. with you. Yeah, I'm like a, the first four are great, and there's a beer, and it's like there's a lot of mignette and horseradish and mm-hmm. hot sauce. I mean, like I'm fully dressed. Hey, if I have a seafood tower and a good conversation, <laughs> <laughs> such a classy guy. I'll munch all day. But yeah, twelve, four, five, and I'm like, okay. Yeah, I've I've been that spot in Brooklyn Maison Premier. Mm-hmm. And they have the dollar oyster happy yeah. hour thing. I've definitely like. My friend Dan, who we're friends with, he, he used to live there, and we would just go there and get 48 oysters, and, oh. and we would split it. Yeah. Get four dozen, take two dozen each to the head, because it costs a dollar. Man. what Are you doing anything else with that? Like cracker, bread, just anything. Maybe there's some bread, but I Maybe mean, oysters are so small. The amount of real estate they're taking up in your stomach. If you took, if you took two dozen oysters and lumped them I, all together, I, it's the size of a... I mean less about how full you are. I mean more about like breaking up the amount of oysters you're eating with something like something textural, something flavor, something neutral, (laughs) anything that isn't like of the ocean. All right, guy who doesn't eat uni and person who's never had milk. I don't want to hear it from you guys. I have had milk. I've had milk. I've had milk enough to know that I don't want to drink milk. This is all fair. These are all fair um, concerns that you have with what we've said already and our opinion on what you're eating. All right, Ferg. You're up. All right. So as I said, I was just in Mexico City, and Mm -hmm. there is a wonderful restaurant there called Maximo Bistro. Have you guys been there? No. It is run by the chef Lalo, who um, has a fascinating story. He was a migrant worker who came to the United States with his parents when he was young, lived in the U.S., ended up working in kitchens in Atlanta. I mm. think he like this is right up your alley. I, I know, I know. You got right? a strong connection. <laughs> and then, uh, anyways, there's just a story about him in the Sunday Styles, which will tell you about his life story much more than eloquently than I can tell you right now. But mm-hmm. long story short, he was deported back to Mexico and cannot come to the United States anymore. But now has this like incredible restaurant empire in Mexico and has become like one of the most famous chefs there. His mm. food is delicious, mm. and they have a bar upstairs from the restaurant at Maximo Bistro where you can get just like snacks and drinks. Mm-hmm. So I sat up there, and he has this amazing like just pan con tomate with this Iberico ham that is to die for, and then also um, pan con tomate. Uh huh. That's bread and tomato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spanish. So how's the tomato on there? It, a lot of times it's like grated. Like if you imagine taking a tomato to like a cheese grater. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's sort of... Okay, so raw, open raw bright tomato. And there's a little bit of cheese on top. Mm-hmm. Usually there's like some garlic on the bread and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this like beautiful ham. And then we also had some octopus ceviche that was just super fresh, perfectly spiced mm, with mezcal. And it was great. 
When I was in and Mexico, when I was in Mexico City, <laughs> I, was, I had jamón ibérico as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's like pretty. It seems kind of common, oddly, in Mexico City. Yeah, there's a lot of non-Mexican food in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. It's an international place, cosmopolitan, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> well, that sounds delicious. Yeah, it was great. I want to grate some tomatoes ASAP when they're in season. You know. Mm-hmm. We're getting there. We are. <laughs> Yeah, do you want to do like a Santa Monica Farmer's Market report for old time's sake? <laughs> well, I will say that tomatoes are now in season at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. Are so, they really? Yeah, they've got Debbie Wong. When she comes back with her tomatoes, it's like you know it's the beginning. And it started. So Wong's in the house. Wong is in the house. <laughs> Damn, oh, I've never had a Wong tomato. Oh, well, you got to go. And then, yeah, they should be there until like November. Usually the tomatoes disappear around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You know so much about food for somebody who has never eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Doesn't know so much about food. It's very interesting. <laughs> I feel like we've only scratched the surface with you, Ferguson. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Thanks I for appreciate having me. it. Do you want to? I guess people can see your article in in the T Magazine, mm-hmm. New York Times dot yeah. com. Just search your name and Lucky Peach. LA Times, mm-hmm. TMAG. You're out here. What's your Instagram if people want to check it out? Ooh, Jillian underscore Ferguson. That's Jillian with a G. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thanks, you can find. Guys. Oh, yeah, thank you. You can find me on social media at Them Jeans. Andre Connor Paro has no social media. Uh, hi to our moms, Karen and Jill. Hi, Jill. Thestewpodcast.com is the website where all of our episodes live. So you can go on there, go on iTunes, give us a nice reading and review. Sorry about the ads. See you next week. (laughs) 